Hey there, sweet peas. Welcome back to Friendless, the only show that tries to teach you how to be a better friend while I lose every friend I have. I'm your host, James Avramenko, and this week I have a very special guest, the established Shanda Lear. Shanda is a drag artist, a comedian, a producer, an activist, and so much more, and it was such a pleasure to have them on the show. We talk about being a public figure in the queer community, platonic intimacy, and of course, pro motherfucking wrestling. All that and so much more, so lean back, get comfy, set your volume at a reasonable level, and enjoy my interview with Chandelier here on Friendless. Um, so welcome to the show, the one, the only, the established Chandelier. How are you today? Uh, I am doing even better now that I see your face. Yeah. Oh, thank you. That's very sweet of me. You know, I, I, um, so like my, my day job is like Toronto hours, right? So I'm working like six to two every day and about halfway through the day today, I decided to take a, um, like a Sudafed or like a, uh, allergy pill. And um, and then at you decide two... to get high at work. <laughs> this is literally at about two <laughs> two two thirty. I was like, "Why am I t- so tired?" So I like took this little nap, and I was like, "Oh my god, I'm gonna be dead for the interview." But the the thing that like got me through was that I was like, "No, I'm gonna be talking to Shanda this afternoon. I'm it. That's gonna make me better. Just like not only feel better, but it, it's just gonna make me better. You know." <laughs> <laughs> this reputation that I have preceding myself, I'm here for it. It's not something that I know about myself, but let's go. <laughs> <laughs> so you know what? Let's start there. On that note, for listeners who may not be familiar with you, who the hell are you? Oh, excellent question. Uh, the established chandelier, as you've covered, and uh, a drag host, comedian, philanthropist, writer, actor, dancer, singer here in vancouver someday you know across the the lovely uh land that we live on i guess (laughs) (laughs) you'll make it over the rockies eventually right i know also like to be completely transparent just when i was saying that that whole thing i was like if this was at one of my shows, I would have, first of all, started off with a land acknowledgement and the fact that I'm just blowing through all of that to being like, yeah, live on Canada land, etc. It's like going against every fiber of my being right now to not acknowledge any of that. So I understand that. I, I just, and I, I, you know what? That's a that's actually a really valid observation. It's something I've I've never been entirely sure how to do or what to do for a podcast. I should probably like deeper into that but um but um is there like is there how would you how would you do an acknowledgement for something like this well i haven't actually thought about it because uh a peek behind the curtain i i also do a podcast as well which is on hiatus and i think because it doesn't matter if the audience is global because you know indigenous uh rights and issues are present globally but it hasn't been something that we've thought about doing to be honest but also like the subject matter i don't want it to seem like um like we're like we're trivializing it at all be like Mm -hmm. hey by the way bad things are happening okay so this episode of chainsaw man where he cuts a guy's dick off like you know i feel like in the live setting when i'm doing a show and like literally making money on unceded lands in vancouver Mm -hmm. and that i 
you know, cast indigenous performers and have indigenous people in the audience and then also have the opportunity to talk to people who aren't indigenous who might not uh, ever think about these sorts of issues is like, you know, we're celebrating a lot of different culture at a drag show and you're going to see like live performance art. So I think this is the space that we can have this. Plus, I do when I say philanthropist, I raise a lot of money at drag shows through tips. Yeah. And if you're listening and you don't know tipping at a drag show, you, you got to do it. <laughs> you don't have to do it, but it's really nice. But like, actually, just the other day, uh, I donated um, after a couple of months of collecting tips, a thousand dollars to the downtown Eastside Women's Center. Amazing. Very. I was very excited to yeah. be able to do that. Yeah. Oh, that's fabulous. Uh, so th this whole all these all these culture touch points you're you're mentioning and sort of sort of breezing by is is really <laughs> a kind of a is kind of a, a a central point of what I've been really wanting to talk to you and ask you about but I think where I want to start with that story is if you could tell me about how you became involved in the drag scene and sort of what what led you into becoming this this uh this this figure that you are <laughs> um well Oh gosh, it's such a it's it's such a long story that I'm going to give you the the best Coles Notes version possible. Sure. Uh, Keep I started it entertaining, it, okay? Yeah, <laughs> I started on a dare. Amazing. Um, I played. I used to play on the uh, queer soccer league in the queer soccer league here in Vancouver, and uh, one of my team members was uh, one year was Peach Cobla, who's a local like you know drag like you know, pillar of East Van drag. Mm -hmm. And so she was like, she was talking about a show. I think I might have said like, oh, I was at that show. And she said like, oh, when are you going to do drag? And I was like, absolutely not. <laughs> and before that, when I, li I lived in Halifax, I mean, I'm from Nova Scotia. So I lived in Halifax for six years and we would go to the local shows. And if I was in the mood for the local show, I was in the mood. I was ready. I was tipping the divas. I was excited to see the performances. But if I just wanted to drink two Blue Rev and dance, I hated drag queens so much. I can't even <laughs> tell you. I cannot describe the ire that would boil up in me where I'm trying to dance to, like, you know, ponder replay. And all of a sudden, we have to stop all the music because some old bitch wants to do a Barbara Streisand number. No. 19, 20-year-old me was an absolute menace to drag queens. <laughs> I love, I'm sorry. I love that so much. <laughs> Please go. Horrible. Back. It was horrible. Know, it's like... <laughs> I'm feeling I'm feeling like I'm feeling such a like I'm I'm hearing such echoes of my own 19 yeah. yearhood. I just I just never I never gave back by by joining, you know what I mean? I just maintained that resentment. And so that's that's just completely my bad. <laughs> <laughs> well, it's it is funny cuz when I when I started to do drag, even when I was thinking about it because when I did eventually moved to Vancouver in 2011 I went to see one of the East Van shows which at the time was very different from the West End uh, drag uh, scene I guess mm -hmm. the West End scene was very much like I don't know kind of what you see on TV like you know uh, 
look like a woman, feel like a woman, act like a woman. Like they were doing like, you know, pop music and uh, wearing like ball gowns. But on the east side, it was a little more, uh, it sounds so cliche to say punk rock, but like they were literally doing punk rock songs. Sure, and, yeah. Yeah, and it was like a bit more gender fuck and, and fun like that. And uh, it was one of the first times I saw a hairy drag performer. Who are my absolute all-time favorite, which is probably why I hold you in such high regard. Because you Thank have this you. lush, yeah. beautiful <laughs> beard on top of everything, right? <laughs> I have I have a bit, like an old stand-up bit that I keep the beard on because I want to have sex in and out of drag. <laughs> <laughs> Uh, but yeah, so once I saw the East Van drag, I, I thought, oh, like that could be fun. Because I mean, unfortunately, I also did musical theater growing up. And I, if you again, can't make I it, <laughs> if you can't make it on Broadway or like, you know, in the, the Mervish Theater Company in Toronto, you might as well be a drag performer. You've got all these transferable <laughs> skills. <laughs> and you don't even have to sing. You can just lip sync. So you it's, can I know. It's per- and when you can actually sing, everyone's like, oh, wow. Here, like. <laughs> We've got a real <laughs> talent on our hands. Yeah. <laughs> so that's, I, I feel like I've gotten so off track, but I it started on a dare. And then once I did it, really liked it. Ugh, this is the worst feeling. It's, it's mm. the best and the worst feeling to be like, okay, I, you know, and then people told me I was good at it, which only mm-hmm. fueled my ego. Mm-hmm. So once I finally got to host shows, when people gave me the microphone, the whole time I was performing, as just a regular cast member, I was like, I would dust these bitches if I get the <laughs> microphone. I'm funny. I have done stand-up comedy. I'm confident. It's and as soon as they gave it to me, it was game over. So, and I'm a, um, I'm a creation of my community. <laughs> I love that. I love that. You're you know that's one of those you're welcome worlds. You know. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> now, now, no, so no, that... no, no. The, it's the community is Frankenstein. I'm the monster. Right. <laughs> She hate me, right? That'll, you know? <laughs> <laughs> um, so that actually dovetails into something I wanted to ask uh, a little bit later, but is right here is so another element of your sort of performance life is stand-up comedy. And and now I'm hearing that that had already sort of begun developing before you got into this. Like where did where does that fall into your path? Um oh I had I had never performed before I started doing drag stand-up comedy, but I had written sets before, I had written jokes, I had been like hosts at like friends' birthday parties. Like sure. anytime I could take the opportunity to turn it into a stand-up set, I 100% was like, yeah, this is my time to shine. Yes. But um, yeah, I mean, because living in, in Halifax, they had, I they do have, well, at the time, they had lots of comedy. I haven't been there in a long time, but I mm. guarantee if there is, you know, a man aged 25 to 35 in a city of universities, there's stand-up comedy happening. <laughs> but they do have a Yuck Yucks. And the right. Yuck Yucks was always so unattainable because it it is like a professional level of comedy. Mm-hmm. And um, I hadn't seen any open mics. I wouldn't have even known what to look for. So I just... I'm like, I'll do it on my own. And uh, yeah, that's so I, I had everything like locked and loaded, ready to go. <laughs> yeah. Now, was the Yuck Yucks in Halifax in some ungodly like 
uh, like inhospitable tract of land outside of the city because that's that's what it was like in Calgary. They like for some reason they put the Yuckucks like in the deep, deep, deep south, like south corner where it was so hard for everyone who wanted to go to get to. Was oh, it similar down there? That's okay. Well, first of all, Calgary is a, a just a, a medical marvel of city planning. <laughs> yeah, I have really no idea. I've have family there. I've been there countless times. Still cannot find my way around that place. It, they always say and, it is on a grid, but it's like no, it, it was on a grid, and then yeah, like they like which grid are we talking about? Like the grid from Tron? Like it, <laughs> literally, it is, though, right? <laughs> it's absolutely bananas down there. Well, you know, it's taught as a, it's an international example of urban sprawl, like because they're just like because it's like oh, that they're not, makes they're sense. not like other, right, right? <laughs> like they're not like other cities, especially in Canada, where there's like natural boundaries that they can't go past. Whereas in Calgary, they're like, yeah, we could just keep going if we want to, you know. <laughs> it just goes and goes and like and the family that uh, like I have some family that live in the city proper and then the other ones live in Okotoks and they're like, well, I live in Calgary. I'm like, it's 45 minutes to get here. Like, what are you talking about? Big time, big time. And at this point, Okotoks is basically in the city. It's like, yeah, yeah, that's just a suburb now. Quit pretending. Well, let me tell you, the (laughs) the Yuck Yucks in Halifax is on the ground floor of the Western Hotel downtown on the waterfront. (laughs) Oh, beautiful. Beautiful, but also like insane that it's in this, you know, gorgeous old hotel and it's like yeah. yeah come in for the jalapeno poppers and some weird jokes about how these guys can't get laid <laughs> while the like blue nose is parked up front <laughs> absolutely just reams of tourists and then they're going to like the pier 21 museum that's like yeah. oh here's where everybody who like entered canada as a refugee has crossed over and you're like <laughs> and yuck yucks <laughs> <laughs> I have uh I have my my most of my my family like my siblings and my dad they all live um in Nova Scotia they all live in like Bridgewater and Lunenburg, um, beautiful place beautiful 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 but I uh I haven't been out to Halifax in a while but yeah we I love that Inner Harbor it's incredible I I think Halifax is one of the best cities in the in the country but it's um it's just it's just like it's sort of like you're there and you're like this is lovely but why would I ever be here <laughs> yeah <laughs> it listen I, I i agree with you i think halifax is definitely like a top tier canadian city that people when they look at it think i don't know about that and then you spend a little time there and it's like oh i totally get it it's small yeah. but there is lots of stuff happening i do tribute that to having the six universities locally that's right yeah September, August and September in that town. Actually, October, too. Let's just say it because Halloween is happening. Those months were absolutely off the wall energy. Like every place has like, you know, student like drinking night and like parties like clubs have like a new lease on life. It is crazy. (laughs) (laughs) See, I've only ever been there during like peak tourist because it was the only time I could get out there. Right. So it'd be like July. So it'd be pretty, pretty, you know, it would just be yeah. tourists. And then that that weird boat with the face on it from the children's show. Uh, Theodore Tugboat. Not Thank weird. You. Thank Beautiful. you. Beautiful. <laughs> well, it's it, it, it's it has a hauntingly knowing smile, you know. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> also, me talking about like, oh, that place is off the chain. And in September, I'm 38 now, so I'm right. not counting down for like the new school season to start so i can go drinking at the dome with everybody 
Although I'm going although, to like I'm going to like Argyle Street, sitting outside mm. with a, a patio like a patio martini and mm-hmm. swearing at every twenty year old that walks by that's like, wear a jacket. Like <laughs> it's not that warm. Put some pants yeah. on. <laughs> Honestly though, yeah. <laughs> this is a maritime climate. Good lord. You're right on the water too. Come on. Yeah. <laughs> um um so there's this other element. I, I'm not sure. It's this is probably too early in the interview to bring this up, but I'm doing it anyway. Um, Let's go because I want to sort of like, I want to see all the different sections of you before we start talking about the intersection of it all. And so the other big element, um, I was just reading a really interesting article that uh, I believe you you wrote. I don't think it was a profile of you. I think you wrote it of your your connection to sports and you're like you know growing up feeling very disconnected and but yeah moving into it and um and i know you and i really initially bonded through pro wrestling and so i was wondering if you wanted to talk a little bit about um yeah about that sort of experience of like wanting to be into sports but also being enmeshed in a culture that isn't necessarily very sport sport forward right (laughs) Yeah. Oh, yeah, absolutely. I wrote that piece for um, Out Sports. I think it's mm-hmm. called Out Sports. Um, yeah, which was like, I, you know, I can't even remember how that like came about. I think I might have actually pitched it. No, I didn't. pitch. OK, I'll toot my own horn. During the pandemic, uh, the height of the pandemic, <laughs> when everybody was at home in 2020, uh, my friend Thanks Jem and myself would do like a weekly Instagram live slash talk show. Mm. and we would do it in drag and then once i was started getting into the rhythm of doing that um and because i was watching a ton of sports during 2020 i started to make my own like kind of like weekly recap videos of what was happening but like made it gay i love it it was great and it was super fun to do and anyway the the editor of outsports um founded on instagram and so he asked me if i wanted to write a piece and i was like yes absolutely more attention but um (laughs) oh no not me (laughs) i know oh god but it was a really nice conduit to to talk about this stuff so two things when i was a kid against me for liking sports was that i was fat and effeminate right (laughs) but but i know It it was impossible but i my uh, like mom's side of the family, uh, which is all the Nova Scotia, Cape Breton side of it, very athletic. Like her dad uh, coached rugby and baseball and a couple of aunts who played baseball growing up. And then when I, I grew up in Boston and when I lived in Boston, I played uh, Little League, like classic All-American Little League and truly loved baseball. Mm. So moving to Canada, moving to the small town, baseball was like, not as widespread and like really difficult to like get on that team and mm. being chunky <laughs> they were not interested yeah. so i kind of like, like have you never heard of babe ruth sir I was like <laughs> i am the designated hitter and the catcher yeah. i don't have to move yeah. you just put me up there it'll be perfect yeah swing away um, shanda you know yes <laughs> so i i ended up switching to basketball for a short time and then just like you know you're 15 and like lose interest or whatever but uh so like fast forward come out of the closet all this time i'm still like i still watch football i still watch basketball baseball once in a while but like nobody to really talk about it with um my straight friends in high school and university all loved um 
uh, soccer and hockey, which again, like I like those two. I mean, I played soccer in junior high and high school, mm. um, but it still wasn't like, I don't know. I still like didn't really have the vibe because I just I could tell the way they talked about sports and the way I did and what I was interested in was like the same but different. Sure. Yeah, there's that toxic, you know, culture of like macho-ness when it comes to, especially when you're in your teens and early 20s of like watching hockey or even like watching UFC. I was like, I like this is this is so far removed from how I'm ingesting and enjoying this right now that. Yeah, it, yeah, it really turned me off of it for a long time. So I would just kind of if I wasn't watching a game or or highlights or anything, I was you know, just keeping up on scores of like teams that I liked. And then I got so into that, that uh, I've just figured like, well, I mean, you know, like, well, like, who am I going to talk about this with? Like nobody, right? Like straight guys are talking about different stats that they're pulling from their Rolodex in their brain from like 1920. Yeah. And any queer person I bring up sports to, they're just instantly re-traumatized by all the bullies in high school. And yeah. so I was like, I'm in the middle of like, uh, okay, this whatever, this is fine. Even joining the queer soccer league, like some of those guys also really like sports. And but if they wanted to talk about it, they were emulating the macho straight guys. Yeah. And that is a whole other issue. And honestly, that's their cross to bear. <laughs> that's, I'm like, I can't help you on that one. Um, or if it was like, you know, guys who, you know, just like like soccer and grew up in like an athletic family. They're not keeping up like on regular um, games or matches or or standings. And they're like, yeah, whatever. Like, you know, like, I, I, girl, I just want to play the game. Sure. Yeah. Yeah. It's so, such yeah, a different experience, too, yeah. between watching and playing, right? Like, it's like baseball. It's like baseball yeah. is so fun to play, but at times it can be, like, the most excruciating oh. sport to watch, you know? I mean, I'm a huge baseball fan, and some days I'm like, I'm watching half of this game. Like, mm -hmm. I don't care. Even now that they have the pitch clock to, like, make it yeah. faster, I'm like, okay, thank God we've done something. Just, you know, a four-hour baseball game to see a score of, like, four to three is yeah. torturous. Yeah. <laughs> so what is it? What is it exactly? Like, do you, do you have sort of like terms to describe? Like what are the things that attract you to like watching sports, you know, in an ongoing basis? Like what is that, that tweak that you observe? Um, well, I love competition. Mm -hmm. I'm a very competitive person. I love watching other people compete. I like the spontaneity of sports mm. so you can be watching that four-hour baseball game be like oh my god this sucks so much and then you know you see that guy i used to know his name like off by heart but the the guy from the oakland athletics with the juicy ass who took the pitch off of the ass and then it bounced like right. into space yeah. <laughs> it, those kinds of moments it are why you watch sports because yeah. it just happens and it's unexpected and it's can usually be like really insanely funny. <laughs> yes. 
Well, because yeah. even there, like even the athletes are like, uh, you know, they're like, laughing and they're having a right? good time. And then you see like, oh, yeah, these are just normal guys. Like, yeah, they're like some of them are like peak athletes and multimillionaires, but they're also just guys playing a game. Yes. 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 I, I think and it's, then, um, it's like that's like half of what I love about basketball is like those like unexpected moments and the vast majority of the reactions by not only the guy who's who did it, but also the rest of the team are like this collective yes. like shrugs of like, I, I guess that, you know, like it's totally incredible. or like a um oh, a couple of weeks might be like what two weeks ago when the Celtics snuck that win out from Miami, they were down so much. Everybody was like. Turn off the game. It's over. And then in the last five minutes of the game, they just come back insanely like from mm-hmm. a huge deficit and win. And you're like, oh, this is mm-hmm. th- that's jazz. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> Big time. Um, now, now that sort of bridges me in because that's I mean, that is and I'm with you. That's like the beauty of um, uh authentic sports uh and then there's this whole other world of predetermined sports <laughs> of, uh, yes. of of pro wrestling and i think i think uh, my initial curiosity uh for for you is like who do you know like who hurt you um enough to like get you into it or like is there a specific <laughs> person who got into it did you find it yourself or like how did you come to pro wrestling uh i found it myself one afternoon when we were still living in the states and it was like WWE superstars, classic Saturday afternoon stuff. Yeah. And I can't remember who was on the show, but I remember watching it being like, what the hell is that? <laughs> <laughs> like, it was just, it was so weird. But like, you know, there's costumes, there's a- entrance music. This mm-hmm. is when they would do, um, the, the backstage interviews and everybody had their own like green screen like logo yes. and design and i've always like this is such a wanker graphic design thing to say but i've always really been attracted to like a brand identity mm, <laughs> like absolutely. i love i love seeing like you know hitman's got like the pink and black and then macho man's got lots of colors and then ultimate warriors just like all neon i'm like all these guys are different they've got their own thing like that was really just visually captivating to me yeah yes but uh i it the wrestling really entrenched in my life when i moved to canada and made a friend in elementary school and he was a huge wrestling guy Gotcha. And uh, went over to his house one Saturday afternoon and he's like, yeah, yeah, we can play basketball, but like, I want to watch wrestling first. And then the episode we were watching had Macho Man on it. And I was mm. instantly like, this is the best Soul. thing I've ever seen in my life. <laughs> yep. Yep. God, well, he's such a he's such an incredible figure because he's just like he 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 was so authentically what you picture when you think of pro wrestler, right? Like this bizarre character voice, this like action figure body, and then just like sequins. Sequins, <laughs> like crazy bald spot, you know, yep. amazing like cowboy hat, all of the tassels mm-hmm. in the fringe. But then you could c- still wrestle too was the best him. part. You know, what? it was like, but could still wrestle was the best part. Was that? He oh, yeah. Still, and it was also he wasn't like just character. He actually had skill, you know? Yeah. And it's, uh, it's, I wouldn't have even noticed that until years later because I remember watching him and being like, oh, this is really fun and entertaining. And then 
you watch other matches and you're like, you can tell that the quality isn't the same. And then once mm. I got old enough to distinguish why <laughs> yes. his was so much better, I was like, holy shit, this guy is like the full package. No yeah. wonder he was so successful, and like internationally known. <laughs> yeah. Now, do you, I, I know we've talked about this in the past before, but like, and because there's, there's so many like very, very clear and obvious sort of intersections between like drag and pro wrestling you know and 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 you know i think you were the one who were like who was like yeah it's just it's straight drag right um, um yeah, it's sports drag <laughs> right yeah yeah but i'm i'm wondering if you want to like if you i guess what what i'm asking i'm trying to figure out what the framing of the actual question is is like what's your experience in that crossover of those two cultures um personally and like have you observed like sort of being like oh if you're into drag try wrestling or like have you ever have you ever tried that sort of like crossover yourself um i yeah i've had some success in recent years uh you know when you eventually come out as a wrestling fan yes, to your yes. friends <laughs> <laughs> telling them i was bi they're like yeah yeah whatever telling whatever. them i love wrestling they're like still i was like you know yes. it's fake right <laughs> yeah oh of course that's their favorite thing to say but it was it was really so we're at, at a perfect you know generation where most people our age know what wrestling is and will know like hulk hogan or the undertaker or, or mm -hmm. somebody of that level so then when you tell them and they're like, oh, that's what we watched when we were kids. And you can be like, yeah. And it's still kind of the same. But also <laughs> the points that I would make would be like, number one. Yeah, we all know that it's scripted and it's like really elaborate stunt coordination. And, you know, once you let go of that stuff, like look at this as a very campy soap opera. Mm -hmm. And you know going off of that it was like you've got like look at the characters like genuinely listen to some of the stuff they say on the microphone because sometimes it's just so batshit crazy what they have to say that's tv friendly when they yep. really just want to say like i'm gonna fuck this guy up yep. they're gonna be like when i find you at the top of the mountain and i'm there with my, you know, horse and like dark riders. And you're like, what the hell are you talking about right now? <laughs> like, it is just completely off the wall. Yep. And then I think the biggest selling point is the behind the scenes, like anything related to behind the scenes. Oh, yeah. You'd be like, oh, these guys are actually friends. These two people are married. This guy's gay. This guy is like has worked overseas and now he's working here, but he still manages the place overseas. Like all yep. of the politics behind the closed doors, I find, you know, you get the right adult who's into. Oh, gosh. Well, like, what could they possibly be into? I don't know. Like gamers, <laughs> like right, a lot sure. of my a lot of my straight guy friends are gamers and they're the ones that I'm like, yeah, they're wrestling. And they're like, you know what? Wrestling's pretty cool. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. oh the guy that really sealed the deal for the the boys group chat was a couple years ago when daniel bryan was doing his um his like vegan eco warrior yeah, the, the world championship cha run the, uh, and he did that champion. promo 
He did the he did the promo about seizing the means of production from, <laughs> from like you know the owners like the capitalist owners and all of the guys in the group chat were like Tony like also name reveal <laughs> government right, name yes. reveal yeah. yeah they were like have you seen this I'm like of course I've seen this I watch this every single week what do you need to know and they're like what's this guy's deal I'm like he's from Aberdeen Washington he's a vegan. Yep. He is a he's a socialist, and they're like, "Holy shit, this is so funny!" <laughs> right, right. He's just the he's just one of the best men alive today. That's all. That's yeah. all he is. You know, I yeah. once read I once read that he took a like one of those like personality tests, and he scored the lowest you possibly can for ambition because he's like he's like all I want to do is just wrestle and have a house. That's all. I don't need anything else. And and oh, okay, and it I was just like, like the man him, is unbelievably ambitious when it comes to wrestling (laughs) that's that's the thing is that it's like it purely came down to him being like i already found the thing i want and so i just do that thing that i want like he's like why would i go look for other stuff i just want to do this one thing and i'm good you know uh that's the american dragon for you literally oh god (laughs) oh god bless him yeah um um coming back to um the like the drag community and stuff like that i'm I'm realizing my my questions are kind of jumping a little bit but i'm trying my best to steer them together as best as i can Um, i'm feeling it we're rolling (laughs) okay okay i appreciate that thank you thank you you know you you talked uh, a little bit uh, already about like the way that drag can be used as this like really powerful form of like self-expression and self-discovery and and I'm wondering if you could talk a little bit more about what that felt like um, sort of influencing your own journey and your own development and like, how did it help you sort of find, find yourself? Um, Oh, a very, a deep question. Mm. (laughs) We'll, we'll pivot from wrestling. (laughs) Right. I know. I was like, I can't, the thing is that I'll talk about wrestling for two hours and not be tired. Uh, So I'm like, I have to, I, we have to drip feed this and we'll, we'll come back. Don't worry. (laughs) Um, okay. How did it influence my own self-expression or as a tool of self-expression? Um, well, transparently shallowly however you however i want to phrase that uh i i mean i really stuck with drag because i liked all of the attention hell yeah and yeah and i liked the access it gave me like once i said like the bar that i mostly did drag at back in the day was the cobalt Mm, and mm -hmm. the access it gave to me uh for you know becoming a regular there and like getting to know the staff and then making friends with like other regulars and then all of those connections that just spider out from there Mm -hmm. i mean it really felt like like cheers is one of my favorite sitcoms and i it was like oh my god i finally have my own cheers like i walk in here any day of the week and i know somebody and that's very affirming Mm um and then yeah like meeting it's like uh like like a meeting of the minds and ideas because there's so many different types of personalities and people of uh like lived experiences that are artists Mm -hmm. and and for a long time i was like i'm not an artist you know just just a drag performer like a local drag performance like you are an artist and like laid it out for me i was like okay uh, (laughs) stop bullying me it's yeah (laughs) I'll accept it. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> um, so it it really felt like uh, 
like a big like you know kind of cultural education too um which is funny in hindsight because before i i came out of the closet uh i was like okay well if i'm gonna be like i came out gay so i was like if i if i'm coming out and i'm gonna be gay like i should know i don't know where this came from but i said i should know what i'm talking about and so i found like a list of like 100 gay movies that you should know and watch and like read like like read like oscar wilde and like Mm -hmm. other like famously gay authors and Mm -hmm. you know was like oh like the golden girls and the nanny and like all these tv shows i loved growing up like those were gay okay now i understand like how all of this is like coming together Mm -hmm. so i came out of the closet and a a friend of mine university she's she said it was like backdraft she's like you open up the closet door and it just like exploded like all of these (laughs) references that nobody understood right yeah (laughs) Nobody's referencing B. Arthur on Maud in like 2004. No. But no. here I am. So that won me over with a lot of like the older gays in the community. Yes. <laughs> and they're the important ones. You know what? I was just talking the other day. We need to be treasuring our elder queers, okay? Like we really oh, need to be celebrating God. them. We need to be getting their stories and we need to be cherishing them. There is way too much fixation on like the youth culture and like. We need to validate and treasure our elders, especially in this community, you know? So yes. I think what you did was was a very magic. It probably it probably very really made their day, you know? <laughs> I mean, I, I am very fortunate to have uh, you know, friends and acquaintances who are gay and queer men who are, you mm-hmm. know, fifty and well above fifty. And mm-hmm. being able to converse with them and like being able to make them laugh you know mm-hmm. and then mm-hmm. being able to understand the way that they talk about the community and the like mm-hmm. the insults that they throw out yeah. is just like if you if anybody if you or anybody watches drag race like young people's main critique is like oh rupaul's references like nobody knows nobody knows what he's talking about i'm like mm-hmm. uh i guarantee you that a lot of people do and mm-hmm. you should know what they are too because like this is going to be so off topic, but actually, no, this is kind of related to self-expression because I queer history is so, is so rich. I'm like, whenever this comes out, I'm in the process of um, preparing to record an audio book at the end of June. And it is, I'm so excited. It's my first like, you know, real like voiceover gig. And um, the book is, uh, a collection of letters, an epistolatory novel. Uh, this guy found fr- at his mentor's estate after his mentor had died. And it's um, letters and correspondence from drag performers and uh, trans people and sex workers in New York in the 50s. Holy shit. And it is some of the funniest, like, real, like, you. it's the 50s. So they had a whole, you know... Mm-hmm a whole other challenge to live mm-hmm. but this is well before the aids crisis right and the way that they are living their lives and like the freedom and the abandon that they have in these little enclaves and like mm-hmm. the codes that they use like mm-hmm. obviously they're in peril and in danger especially the sex workers but oh my god the stories that they have to share it, it's just like it's so beautiful to read because like i said queer history is very rich and it's you know famously known that it's not documented. Yes. Yeah. And this is why it's like 
Sure, The Golden Girls is just a TV show, but it is genuinely queer history. Yeah. You know, like that has to be preserved. That has to be talked about and just enjoyed too. Like there's so many of those things that just because it's pop culture, like I think that's where that's where like the community had to be built. Mm -hmm. It's like weirdly in the public eye, but it's the it's these things that like gay people in Hollywood like worked on these things behind the scenes and like they influenced the style and the jokes and like that's the history that we have you mm-hmm. know it's very different from like any other sort of history i think it's a 100% i mean it's 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 that whole thing of it's why people using the term queer quoting now i think is they're mm-hmm. like they're misusing it you know because it's like no actually yeah they've like, turned it into it was, a pejorative yeah that's what i was gonna say was that it's like no actually that was a good thing you know because it meant that if you knew what you were looking at you could see that the artist was speaking to you you know like i'm trying yes. to I'm, I'm 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 grasping for his name right now it's not coming to me but you know we reference frankenstein and and the director of both frankenstein and bride of frankenstein was an openly gay man in the 30s and and both those films mm. are seen as like as queer texts and and oh is you, the, he's the see... guy that um sorry Ian McKellen plays him in that movie yes. Gods and Monsters in, that's yes. right yes in Gods and Monsters um and I can't for the life of me I I want to say Waters but I know it's not John Waters no so I can't remember his name either but uh, I remember Ian McKellen in that movie and I remember extremely hot Brendan Fraser <laughs> good lord Shanda. ridiculous good lord. <laughs> Um, but it's like, you know, yeah, it was like, it was really important to, to be able to find some way through the censorship and through the culture to, to still get your stories out. And so the, this, this sort of new, this new shift in that perspective, I don't think realizes how important that technique was for, for as long as it was, you know, and it's, it's almost a form of erasure now to be like, now you're not allowed to do that. It has to be open and clear. And in a way, it's a really good thing that they have that perspective, right? Because it means that they're used to these stories being told. But I think that the attitude of it not being allowed really demonstrates an ignorance to the history, um, which which is what which is what you're saying. It because like if it's not recorded, we don't know it, and so mm-hmm. we need to find new ways to be finding finding this history, right, and telling it. Yeah, I mean, Oscar Wilde is one of my favorite uh, authors and playwrights, and you know, his, his whole life was like, it revolved around secrets. Like all of his writing is about secrets. And he, mm-hmm. he didn't think that that was bad. He loved secrets because he's yeah. you know, inc- incredibly mischievous. Even so, things that are true can be proven. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> and like, I just like the general, like, you know, idea of secrecy, just always being part of a queer person's life, I think is very fascinating and I don't think it's a bad thing, you know, I, I think it's like, really, I don't know, like, I don't know how to phrase it other than like, I think it's really special. Like, mm. it's just, it's something, it's a unique perspective that we're always going to have. And so to tie this all back, the self-expression bit of this. So like all the history that I, I, force myself to learn and then finally like once I started to do drag and I was like putting that into practice I started to feel like oh I'm now I'm part of the history too yes and that's very exciting and also again very affirming and um 
just seeing the examples of queer people in history and the different types of sexuality like I eventually came out as bi I wanted to come out as bi originally mm-hmm. but was like now nah, I'm probably just gay and was convinced also by some friends that like oh you're just gay because right you know, bi is not a real thing yeah I know <laughs> but yeah I think like it's honestly like through doing drag and like becoming part of a broader queer community and and seeing how you know fluid things like sexuality even gender are like you know i have never questioned uh my gender but uh, i've definitely questioned my sexuality <laughs> yeah yeah well and that's such an interesting element too is this thing of so i you know i hear a lot of uh, predominantly in the it's obviously predominantly in the straight culture in the straight conversations is this like is this like bafflement at you know, pronouns and things like that, right? And it's become so weaponized. And 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 one of the initial questions, because I always try my best whenever these statements come up, is I always try to be like, well, what is the actual problem here? Like, I don't, I try my best not to like jump to offense. I just try to like unpack, like, what is it you're so afraid of here, right? And, and I try to ask like, well, when was the first time you knew you were he, you know? And, and does it have to do with the fact that you were told you were he, before you even knew there was a question, you know, great like, question, you know, you know, like, <laughs> like, so, so why are people not allowed to wonder what their, um, what's the word, what their like, um, ownership of their own experiences, right? Like, mm-hmm. and it's not like, you know, everybody loves to act like they're going to get beheaded if they use the wrong term or something like that. And it's like, no, you just are listening to too much Joe Rogan, like, just turn that off and go meet somebody who's actually queer, you know? Yeah. People are are terrified that the mistake that they're going to make, which is Mm -hmm. inevitable, is going to, like, somehow put them on some kind of pyre outside of the town square. Exactly. Exactly. And it's like... Exactly. You gotta, you gotta relax. <laughs> straight up, straight up. Because it's like, it, it, what that reaction leads to is, well, we better get them first then. You know, if they're coming for us, we better yes. get them first. Oh, know? that's a good point. Yeah. <laughs> right? Like, that is, no that is the total mindset. Yeah. Right. Um, um, something I really wanted to ask about in, um, you know, in, in queer culture, there's this, and you were mentioning this, you know, the, the cobalt culture and these things, there's this real deep platonic intimacy you know obviously sometimes you're fucking but like it's predominantly uh you know it's a it's a it's a very deep platonic intimacy it's a type of love and it's a type of like of deep deep feeling um that isn't very common um in other communities and other connections and um i'm wondering i guess because that's something you know platonic intimacy with friends is a big part of my sort of like push right now i'm always like touch your friends you know like all that kind of stuff right um and so i guess i guess i wonder initially like what does what does platonic intimacy mean to you and and what kind of a role has it played in your life oh boy i mean i told you i am you know i grew up like well i grew up in boston and then like on cape breton island Right. Very Irish, very Catholic. So any sort of intimacy was b- barely present in my life until I was probably like 21. Sure. I'm still squirrely about touch. I'm always yeah. telling other people to touch, but I'm always like, but not me, you know? Yeah. Even now still, I'm like, uh, like some people can hug me, I guess. But other people, I don't know. Yeah. Like it, it, it's very, you know, kind of fair weather uh, touching allowed, but I I'm trying to think of like the first time I really 
felt I was really lucky when I lived in Halifax. I had a, a, a big group of friends that um, some of us were from Cape Breton and had if we didn't go to the same high school, we, you know, um, went to neighboring high schools, had mutual friends like one of my friends. I'm still friends with her. She and I went to prom together. Oh, and and she went to one university and introduced me to a bunch of her friends. And I mean, she is like a hag through and through. So she like <laughs> knew all of these gay guys. And it was a really nice, like, you know, a really nice little community that we built for ourselves. And even that, like some of those people I'm still very close with and, and talk to today and like and the boys specifically. I don't think any of us I had one friend that um he he kind of introduced me to this idea of oh yeah you can be like two men you can be two friends both of you can be queer and you can sit on the sofa and cuddle and watch a movie and like that's just nice mm-hmm. and the whole time i was on edge like oh i'm going to lose it like like yeah. uh, like what are we doing like i should just be sitting on the other side of the sofa mm-hmm. or you can like sleep in the same bed together after you've been out drinking and you know and like wake up together and like that's really nice and that really opened my eyes to just a whole world that i felt like never existed (laughs) yeah big time (laughs) well like straight people straight men especially they're just never touched and if they're touched it's either to get punched or to try and have sex you know and so it's like Mm -hmm. it's like when are you getting touched just like hold your friend it's so nice to just be spooned you know yeah get or to, to spoon and like you don't have to fuck everyone you could just like enjoy that part oh my god the like the rough housing that you do like as a straight guy especially like when i was playing sports in junior high and high school i definitely you know got touched often and not in like the where did he touch you on the doll yeah. kind of thing no, but I like know, yeah. yeah like just like messing around and like yeah sometimes punching each other but like you know, you're like all sitting in a van, like driving to a game that's two hours away. And like you just sit on your buddy's lap because it's funny. But then you just kind of stay there. Yeah, because you're like, oh, wait, my body like needs this. like this is nice. Or like you put your arm around your buddy like while you're sitting on the bench or like, you know, oh, also stretching mm-hmm. dog. Mm-hmm. That is like <laughs> when I joined the queer league here and we we're like, hey, can you help me stretch? And I was like, man. This is just bringing back a lot of like repressed feelings that I'm sure many of us had in high school right now. It's like, I I can't believe, I can't believe this is the, there's, I haven't even mentioned this yet, but they're like, just briefly touching back on to sports Mm -hmm. during 2020, 2021, when every day, every minute of my day was on Twitter, I Mm -hmm. found an extremely delightful group of queer people who love sports specifically baseball Beautiful. and i called it gay baseball twitter and there mm-hmm. is um i now have like people i consider friends like especially one guy who lives in philly and he has a baseball podcast and it's it's just like all of these people i saw him interacting with online and there's this guy who he he lives in the uk and he's an illustrator and he made this comic he's also a writer and it was like about you know how men touch each other in baseball games like patting on the ass and all of that stuff and he had this line of dialogue that just absolutely blew me away mind you this guy at the time he wrote it was like 20 and he said like um 
he's like the look at the rituals we construct just so that we can experience some human touch yeah i was like are you fucking kidding me right now (laughs) and that's just it right there isn't it it's a ritual when it's like you could just hug your friend too you it know? could be so easy, but you know what? You got to put on this uniform and you mm-hmm. <laughs> you got to compete for 45 minutes before you're allowed to hug your friend because you scored a point. Yeah, then you've earned it. Then you're yeah. allowed, you know. <laughs> um, I have a couple other questions, but I wanted to I'm 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 cognizant of the time. I just wanted to clock real quick. Are you are you okay to talk? I've got like I've oh, got yeah. four more questions, I, but I did want to switch to asking getting you to ask a question. I, I wanted to kind of give you the opportunity to to ask me something here to to change things up a little oh yeah okay well good because i do have some questions that i've prepared beautiful okay the podcast is all about friendship interpersonal relationships and this is a question that i personally have wrestled with on occasion with people in my life so how have you dealt with people telling you you don't live up to their expectations of being a friend that you didn't realize they had. Oh, that <laughs> is such a good question. Um, I think, you know, for me, it's funny because like for me, it's like, I think the majority of people who I have disappointed haven't put it like that. Um, they've just like gotten mad at me for something and then, cut me out of their lives or I've cut them out of their lives, you know? Um, but I think on the rare occasions when it has been brought to me like that, um, my first reaction is shame, right? First reaction is like total shame and total embarrassment and total spiral. Um, but then I do my best to sort of like recenter and hear them. And, um, I mean, there's really only been a couple times I can think of um, that I don't really want to get into like specific specifics, but like, you know, when that was communicated to me, um, once I'd sort of recovered and was able to hear them, I just did my best to like hold that. And, and there's this thing, I've learned it through therapy that there's this thing that like you can be wrong and still be worthy of love. And that's not something that comes like instinctually to me. It's either I'm wrong or I'm allowed to be loved. It's one or the other, you know? Um, I mean, fuck, at at sometimes it's like I'm allowed to be happy or I'm allowed to be loved, you know? Yeah. (laughs) It's, you know, it's, it's like somewhere in my brain, I got it in, I got it in there that it's like these feelings are mutually exclusive, you know? And they're not. Um, And so it's just really becomes about like holding the mistake assessing how much I can show up, you know, because like sometimes I haven't been showing up, not because I've been wanting to fail or intentionally failing, but because like, I just don't have the bandwidth or the, you know, and, and so it's really assessing like, how much can I show up for someone? And is that going to be like good enough for the both of us? You know, will that be good enough for me? Will that be good enough for them? Um, But it's like, the vast majority of my experiences with that kind of thing has been that there's just such a breakdown that it's like not even really worth trying again. You know, um, it's just become like, Oh, we've grown apart. Let's just call it a day, you know? Um, Mm -hmm. and I wish that I had the, the experience and the skills that I have now then, you know, to be able to be like, okay, let's take a breather. Let's take a break. Let's come back. Let's reassess, you know? Um, 
because uh, I think when somebody gives you something as respectful as telling you that you've disappointed them, um, I think that 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 should be treated with a lot more care and a lot more honor than I than I've given in the past. You know, um, so yeah, that's that's kind of where I go with that. <laughs> no, I like it. It's good because I I've. You know, I bring it up because I've had this experience once or twice, and I think I've approached it from both of those ways, where the first time I was like, this is not my problem. Yeah. And then the other time, like, you know, taking a step back and being like, oh, okay, well, like, what exactly did I do? And like, can we talk about it? And I think, well, in one of the cases, I, th I think I, I salvaged it. And the other one probably was just like time, like you said. Yeah. Yeah. But I mean... Basically, what I'm asking about is a friend breakup because uh, those are hard. <laughs> Man, they and they're brutal. They can be really brutal. But I think uh, I think I almost wish because some of the especially more recent ones that have happened to me have been over like really, really awful traumas. They've been over like people picking sides over my divorce and stuff like that. And so like that's really traumatic and really brutal for everyone involved, you know, mm -hmm. and and I wish that there had been a time to be like, okay, let's come back and let's talk about this and let's figure out what happened, you know, and there never was. And there's like definitely a sadness in me about that, you know, um, but at the same time, too, there's this funny tightrope walk that you're wa that you're trying to navigate between like when somebody feels something, it's not actually really your responsibility, you know, like, like mm -hmm. how someone feels has nothing to do with me. They're going to feel what they feel. Um, so it's like, it's this funny navigation of like, how much do I take on and how much do I let go? And how much do I say, well, you should probably process that with someone. And how much do I take on as like, okay, let's you and I talk about, you know, like it's, it's a funny navigation that I'm by no means an expert at you know yeah. but you're right you know but but i haven't really had the opportunity or many opportunities to 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 practice that and i kind of wish i had mm -hmm. well let me know when you figure it out <laughs> <laughs> i was gonna say maybe we should just like really start letting each other down so that like in a couple months we can have like a process you know okay uh, can do no problem okay, okay. Yeah. we'll make a bunch of we'll make a bunch of plans and then cancel at the last minute and then we'll go from there okay it that's never gonna work because both of us are understanding and you know busy and also <laughs> love to stay home <laughs> right <laughs> yeah shit okay right, yeah right right yeah. <laughs> we're both in our late 30s somebody cancels oh, and we're like god. oh gosh okay Thank god you know? whoops oh, yeah god. <laughs> um um something i wanted to ask you about uh, you know right from the beginning of the interview you 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 have touched on you know and even before we were recording you've touched on this this you know you you have this persona right you have this part of you that is that is chandelier and then you have a private part and and i'm i'm wondering how you find balancing the sort of like the the public persona with your private life and and like what kind of challenges have have you encountered by sort of being a, a public figure in the community? Um, well, I was, I feel as though I'm in a good spot with it right now, but uh, previously really had no idea how to, to deal with any of that, which mm -hmm. like, you know, to keep a long story short, like led to 
like a lot of burnout because I would be doing shows, you know, in the evening and like not getting home until like 1230 or something. And then going to work the next day and acting as if like, you know, I didn't do anything last night. And so like, you know, trying to in some ways trying to keep it like separate from work so that people like, you know, just didn't know that I was a drag performer, but also was very conscious of how an employer or a coworker could be like, oh, you know, like, hey, this thing that you wrote today wasn't very good. Is it because you were partying last night? Like I was always had that really like wavering above my head. Um, And then I took, you know, uh, I actually took about a year and a half away from drag. So where I've moved to now is um, I don't, I'm not worried if they overlap, but I, I treat drag more now as a job. Previously Mm -hmm. it was a social thing and like um, an artistic thing. And like, you know, this is, this is like an expensive hobby that I have, but um you know i've been lucky that i've gotten like a lot of you know opportunities and and i've i've moved into producing a lot of shows now too so it's by virtue of that it's become a job as well but um yeah it's kind of like you know oh okay i can i can take it off put that away and uh i also don't feel sort of you know indebted to having to be always part of the community when it's a social occasion Mm -hmm. you know like i don't feel like i have to go to clubs and i don't feel like i have to go to other drag shows i love doing that once in a while but i used to feel like well i gotta go because they came to my show and like also these people are my friends and um they were nice people acquaintances that i have definitely friends in the sense of like oh these are like work friends Yep. But I, I really conflated it with, well, these people are my friends. And then then I started to get really distressed because I was like, well, who are like my, you know, the age old question, who are my real friends? Who are? Yeah, absolutely. So, yeah, it I have I have great friends who do not do drag and some of them like drag and others, you know, are like, I love that for you, <laughs> 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 which honestly, those are the most valuable ones to have. Drag is sure powered by delusion so i need those people to be like you realize that like this is great and everything but you're hosting for like 60 people at the mall during brunch yeah. I'm like no thank you that's what i need to hear let's get real here yeah yeah, yeah. yeah. <laughs> i love that um do you like this is this is getting closer to sort of just wrap-up questions for me um do you have like any advice you would want to give listeners, you know, if if there's somebody somebody out there who's maybe like starting to explore their identity or aren't sure of like where they're at, like like and and maybe they're maybe they're not in the community so they don't really know where to even start. Like where where do you have any advice for somebody like just trying to figure out where to where to go to to figure some of this stuff out for themselves? Um yes, kind of. Yeah, I would say I mean, the what I touched on earlier, the research that I did, like looking up the movies and like reading the books and stuff, I really I feel that that did give me like a solid basis of like, you know, kind of cultural touchstones. But I didn't 
have anything like as hateful as it is anything like Twitter or even like YouTube where I could see people, um, you know, like normal people <laughs> who are talking about this stuff and like living these lives or like, you know, it, I like I'll say TikTok too, even though I, I think like like every social media platform, it's like hyper curated. And yes. it's even like even the real stuff. The people who are like, oh, I'm not an influencer, like I'm real. I'm like, you're planning everything that you say in this. So like mm -hmm. even the real version of yourself you're putting forward is doctored and manufactured in some way. Big like time. no, nobody in their right mind is going to be 100% real online in this day and possible. age. Yeah, it's not. It's, it's there's there's no way. It's it is literally impossible. But I would look for you know YouTube channels. Um, I would definitely look for, you know, people like writers and like cultural like commentators on Twitter, but people who write movie reviews and TV reviews like th those kinds of people, because then you see what they're talking about and you see how they talk with other people and you just kind of form a, a better understanding of like where you fit into or like the stuff that you align with, you know, mm -hmm, mm -hmm. I'm well, like, listen, I. I'm doing the limp wrist thing right now for everybody listening at home. And I know way too much about the Real Housewives series for having never watched an episode. And the <laughs> desire does not in any way inhabit my body of like yep. wanting to watch an episode. That's it's a whole part of gay culture I will never touch. But I know so much about it that I could just converse with people <laughs> well and and those kinds of things are actually i find them to be it's more fun to engage with the people who are passionate about it than it is with the actual content you know yes. like i really like i mean coming back to to wrestling like so i watch AEW because i really like the product i couldn't give a less of a fuck about wwe right now but what i really yeah. like is watching other like like youtube channels and stuff like that who are engaged in it i really like to watch their like reviews yeah. and their recaps and those kinds of things i like watching passion and i like watching engagement you know and so it's yeah. like yeah I, you know something like yeah you know reality tv i'm the same where i'm like i you know if it's on okay fine i'll watch it and i'm uh, who am i kidding i will get invested because it has been like scientifically crafted for that yeah but like <laughs> you know but like but i'm way more interested in like watching somebody's review of it than of the actual show right mm -hmm. yeah 100 percent. and there's and there's this other element my brain is kind of going in the direction too of like you know those avenues used to be such like queer havens right you know you think of someone like truman capote you think of any of the you know you think of there was there was um sort of a strata of culture that was really dominated by like by i mean uh, at the time mostly gay men but like there was definitely other other people from the community there and and sadly you know the mm -hmm. 70s and the 80s ha happened you know and so we're only now um at a place culturally where where there are people who grew up in the in the aftermath of the AIDS crisis who are at an age where they can actually express coherent you know opinions and 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 criticisms in a way that we haven't had culturally for 30 years you know and uh, yeah. so it's really exciting um it's it's what i would say about when people are like why are there why is you know why are queer people trans people blah, 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 why are they more visible now and it's like well because they were all dead and now yeah. the new generation <laughs> um are adults so you know <laughs> like, mm -hmm. yeah i mean it's like that's such a good point and when you spell it out like that it is 
actually so simple, but you have to know that historical context too. Exactly. Yeah. And it's what uh, one of my favorite things to do, not to eat up more time, but Please. one of my favorite things to do is to watch old uh and I say old like interviews of celebrities from the 70s and the 80s. Oh, the best. I like the Dick Cavett channel on yes. YouTube. Oh. I I have run through that shit so many times. Yep. I yep. I just I cannot get enough of it because the way people talked in interviews mm-hmm. back then before, you know, any sort of like online like your only presence was like yeah, you come see me at my concert and like I'll do this interview on TV. But they were so free the way that yes. they talked about themselves and like their thoughts. It really stimulated conversation and you see when they have like cultural commentators and critics on there like you know somebody like gore vidal mm-hmm. who's so gay and so sassy and so pompous yep. and you're like this is where gay people thrived like in yes. conversation <laughs> bingo that's exactly right yeah that's exactly right yeah um um I, I only have the sort of big questions of the show left, but I mm-hmm. wanted to, um, I know you said you had a different question. I wanted to try and sneak that in here before we, before we get to the big friendship question. Oh yeah. It's really light. So beautiful. Um, it's how your friends uh, perceive you. And uh, I am a firm believer in that everybody has a get up and go song where mm. if you are at home and you are not in the mood to go and, the right friend and knows exactly what song to play and you're like okay let's let's go do it who like you don't have to say who it is but like what song are they picking for you and like how do they know that (laughs) i know exactly so so um it would be it would be i'll i'll name check them because bless their heart bless their heart my friend riel uh who i met at uvic um she um when I was right, like in no- the November, I was asked for the divorce and I was really in the fucking deep of it. She made me a playlist of of songs. Um, but she it was funny because she had Apple Music and I had Spotify. So I had to like re- rebuild it. Yeah, <laughs> and I was a little, I was a little <laughs> I like, that. thanks, Brielle, you know, right. Yeah. <laughs> but then I got to listen to the song, the music and it was like perfect. It was perfect. Right. Because it was like. There was stuff that was like angry. There was stuff that was like, why don't you love me? Then there was stuff that was just like, fuck it, I'm going to be me, you know? And it was yeah. just this wonderful, you know, roller coaster of emotions that I just needed. And um, right at the heart of it was, <laughs> was welcome to the Black Parade. <laughs> and, oh my God. Like, it's, you it's emo like, bitch. <laughs> yes. 100%. Like, I, it was like, like that, that song is just so like operatic and emotional and and fun and it's just got it's got everything right it's like the modern bohemian rhapsody right it's just 100%. it's just got a little bit of everything in it and um she'll sometimes like just send send it to me or like it was on the list um i mean i was in i was i went to toronto last year to see my chemical romance with her we had bought tickets in 2019 and then the concert kept on getting canceled and canceled and canceled and then I finally got there and I showed up not knowing I had COVID. So I showed up oh, no. and gave her and her husband COVID. So we all <laughs> missed the concert and just laid in their basement with COVID and played Fortnite and listened to the Black Parade. <laughs> but, what? Oh um, my God. Gerard, if you're listening. 
<laughs> like, please, please. I tried tweeting at him, but they didn't they didn't see. Um, but like, yeah, so I think it's yeah, it's definitely real. It's definitely Black Parade. And it's um, it's not necessarily the like we're going to we're going out tonight song, but it's definitely the like anytime anything is happening, we'll put that on and it'll just like it'll be OK, you know? that is a a fantastic song choice i love i love the story i love the lore (laughs) yes yes oh beautiful beautiful boys um so you know to really to bring it full circle we have kind of again i realize this part's i'm a little i'm a little broken recordy but like we've sort of been scraping up against this and touched on a little bit but you know the real heart of this show is the question of what does it mean to be a friend and so i think i'm going to put that initial question to you to you what does it mean to be a friend God, I've read your questions beforehand and I still don't have a solid answer for this. But I'll think of the friends that I have that I would consider closest and most like, you know, borderline family. And our relationship is like, there's a lot of space to just let each of us be ourselves and there is a lot of um there's a lot of like support that's not transactional Mm. and i think that that's really you know especially having been a person who you know like i said i'm a performer and you know had the many years of like not realizing that the the friends at the nightclub aren't your like real life friends feeling like i was a transactional friend like oh yeah like i'm people have me around because like i'm funny or like Mm -hmm. you know like all of that stuff like when you when you find you know a connection with somebody where it's not based on that it's just like i just really like you uh i i think that that's how i would define friendship Oh, I love that. I love that. Um, the the other part of that question, the follow up, is something actionable for the listeners. Um, how do you think someone could be a better friend this week? Like, what's what's one thing they could try doing to be a better friend? Um, oh my god, it, this is so. It's such a good tip, I think, and it is so simple. But if you can think of something specific that's happening in their lives just ask them about it (laughs) yes (laughs) just like oh hey you mentioned you were gonna have like a hard meeting yesterday did you have the meeting like how did that go how are things at work like it is so if people are like no it's so basic like they don't want to talk about work or whatever like i guarantee everybody in the world wants to talk about themselves to anybody who will listen that's why people do cocaine (laughs) (laughs) <laughs> you know, you're you're nailing something that I'm constantly trying to tell people and I think people hear me but then they still they still have the same reaction to that which is that like when it comes to really simple basic things like that I think a lot of us default to well if it's that simple somebody else must be doing it, you know? Mm-hmm. And so they just assume someone else has already asked, so why would they? And it's like, no, you've got to be the basic bitch, you know? Like you've got to be the one who just asks those simple questions because the very 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 real likelihood is that nobody's asked. So like even just the simple stuff try and go. I love that. I love that so much. Yeah, I have to take my own advice. I like, oh, you know, 
every like it's like anybody who gives out advice is like oh yeah and i and i should be doing that too but 100%. um you know it's something that when people do it to me feels really nice and then when i think about doing it for somebody else i had a um i had no i still have a friend and she was saying that her dad um anytime he would think of a friend of his he would text them and he oh, would just say like, Hey, how's your day going? And it's that simple. And I was like, Oh my God, like how many times in the run of a day do I think of somebody? And I don't care if they answer or not. Like I just send them a message to be like, Hey, how's it going? You know? Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. Oh, and that's, I mean, that's been one of my great, like, <laughs> and if this is one of my great struggles, I'm doing pretty good, but it like genuinely has been a struggle to be like mm -hmm. wanting to reach out, but being terrified. And, but I think just releasing that, like, like you said, it's like releasing the transaction, right? And it's like, yeah, if they answer, they answer. If they don't, they don't, whatever. Yeah. But like just taking that step, right? Group chats have destroyed this part of our brain because oh, I see friends online all the time and we're sending memes and commenting on like dumb shit that happens through the day. And then I realize like, oh, I actually haven't texted that person one-on-one -on -one in like six weeks. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm, 100%. Fuck, Shanda, we could <laughs> we could talk we could talk for fucking hours. We could talk forever. And I just I think this is one of the things that I just like am just uh like the word that's coming to mind is bamboozled. Uh, <laughs> uh <laughs> like I just feel really floored by by meeting you because you know in the grand scheme of things, we're we we we've only met in person once, right? Like, yeah, we're um, new friends. We're brand new friends, and it's really exciting and it's really nice to like you know, to meet you and to connect with you and to feel such a immediate familiarity, you know? And yeah, comfort. I and feel I, the same way. Imagine. We just get it. <laughs> yeah, yeah. It really, it really matters. And it really means, it means a lot to me. And I just, I really wanted to make a point to like really vocalize that, that I think that you're just absolutely wonderful. And I'm just really, really excited to grow this friendship and get to know you better and, you know, and, and eventually disappoint you, you know, so yeah. And you know what, I feel the same way on all of those fronts. <laughs> <laughs> Thank you. Thank you so much. Um, very, very last thing. Just um, do you have anything coming up that you'd like to plug and and where can people find you if they want to? Uh, oh, well, I, I do a monthly brunch drag show, drag brunch show at the rec room at the amazing Brentwood in Burnaby. Love it, it is in the mall and it's a monthly show. And, uh, you know, if this comes out before June 11th, great. You can come to that show. And if not, I would oh. say people just follow me on Instagram because uh, that's where I post most of my like, you know, gigs and work and stuff like that. And um so that's at its chandelier with two S's and I'm just, I'm going to plug that book, not because I'm reading the book, like the audio book, but like PS burn this letter, please is coming out. I think it might already be out in print, but the audio book is coming out that I'm reading and it is unbelievable snapshot of queer history. Yeah. Oh, that sounds amazing. I can't wait. I'm going to, I'm going to try and find a copy right away. Um, but yeah, also we'll we'll definitely get the audiobook too. Um and all that <laughs> stuff. I'm gonna make sure to put all those links in the show notes. So um so well, listeners, you. go go check all that out. Thank you one last time for coming on. You're just you're the absolute best. And uh yeah, I I I'm yeah, I love you. I love to hear it. <laughs> <laughs> Thank you.
And that's it. Thank you one more time to Shanda for coming on the show. What a goddamn angel. All the links that Shanda mentioned at the end of the episode are in the show notes, so you can find her on Instagram, and you can also find a copy of the book that they are doing the um, audio version for. I can't wait to pick up my copy, and I think you should too. Do it. If you like Friendless and want to support the show, please be sure to give me a five-star review wherever you are listening to your podcast. Reviews help so much to get the word out, and they're free. Also, make sure to sign up for the monthly Substack. I am giving you recommendations for books, movies, music, podcasts, writing prompts, and tips on how to be a better friend to yourself and to your community. All that for free. There's also a paid option where you're going to get access to a few more essays every month, as well as some behind-the-scenes work, but that is still in the formation, so I completely understand if you want to just keep it free. Once again, the link for that is in the show notes. But... That's it for me this week, so let's just wrap that up here. Thank you so much for listening all the way through to the end. I love you, I love you, I love you. And I will be back next week with a brand new chapter, or potentially chapters, of my novel. I got some really nice feedback from some people encouraging me to get back on that train, so I'm doing it. So watch out for that next week. I hope you'll join me, but I'm not going to worry about that now, and neither should you, because that is then, and this is now. So for now, I'll just say I love you one more time, and I wish you well. Fun and safety, sweeties. <laughs>